Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this day, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you, Father. We pray now that your word will go forth and it will not return void, Father. And we just thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. So I'm officially at the bottom of the barrel with jokes. So I'm telling one of Stevens. That's how far down the barrel we are. <clears throat> it's bad. It's okay. So this couple, they were both celebrating their 60th birthday. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell the joke like it's supposed to be told, not the way Stephen sent it to me, because he left out some. I had to rewrite some of it. So this couple is celebrating their 60th birthday, and God told them both that he would grant them one wish. And so the wife wished that she could have this wonderful trip to Hawaii, and poof, tickets are in her hand, ready to go to Hawaii. So the husband wished that he was 30 years older than his wife. Poof, he was 90. <laughs> think he was hoping she was going to 30 but whatever um last week we talked about spiritual fitness and we used a lot of examples about going to the gym and running and exercising and all of that and you know if you're going to do that if you're going to go to the gym and run and exercise most of the time you watch what you eat right if you're going to worry, worry about your fitness you're going to worry about what you eat so what we're talking about this week is spiritual food and, and, and food is mentioned over and over and over and over in the Bible. I mean, Jesus fed the 5,000 and 3,000, and I mean, everywhere they went, they prepared a table. And I mean, David in Psalms 23, that God prepares a table in front of me and my enemies. So, I mean, we talk about food a lot, which is good for our church, because we too talk about food a lot. So, I'm going to start with the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> uh, chapter 4, and verse 1. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I can't imagine. He was, he was very hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, logically speaking, Jesus is absolutely the Son of God. And he absolutely possessed the power to tell the stones to turn into bread, right? I mean, God had already delivered manna from heaven for Moses and them, and, and quail, and all of the times that things had happened, right? But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he actually quoted, right? He quoted Deuteronomy, and where they were talking about this, they were talking about the manna in the desert, Right? And then said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. So this is really the first time that, that <clears throat> it was a, a physical statement, and Jesus turned it spiritual quick, right? Physically hungry. Physically, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Physically, there were stones. Physically, he could turn them into bread. Physically, he was the Son of God. But Jesus knew that spiritually this is much more than that, right? And so he said, we, you don't live by man, bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So, and then in his ministry, in his time on earth, Jesus made some profound statements about food that I thought is, I think is very interesting. So if you will, turn with me now to the gospel according to John. In, 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 in two big examples I'm going to use in this sermon. I'm not going to read all of the whole story because it would take up my time, but we're just going to read parts of it. So the gospel according to John chapter four, um, Jesus had learned that verse one, Jesus had learned the Pharisees were 
<clears throat> heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although that fact was not that Jesus who baptized but his disciples, he left Judea and went once more to Galilee. And when he had gone through Samaria, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, best I know, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from his journey and sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said unto her, Will you give me a drink? And it says in Corinthians in my Bible that his disciples had left to go into town to buy food. So they had traveled for a period of time, right? And they didn't have any Lunchables or snack mates or anything in their bag to eat on. And so Jesus had sat down by this well, and the disciples had went into town to buy food, right? So when this lady appeared, <clears throat> she is a Samaritan, and Jesus asked, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Knowing that Jews and Samaritans do not associate. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him if he would have given you living water. Now, it's got to sound pretty odd, right? And I'm coming to the well to get water. This dude asked me for water. I said, why are you asking me for water? Because you don't associate with my kind of people. And then he answered, if you knew who was asking, you would have asked him for water. And that seems like a pretty circular situation, right? You should ask me for water. I asked you for water. You should ask me for water. I should ask you for I mean, it goes around in a circle, right? And she didn't understand, which <laughs> I can't imagine why. <clears throat> Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw the water and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than, your, than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from him himself, as did all of his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone drinks the water. This water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I've given them will never thirst. Indeed, I give water I get, indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up in eternal life. So she is really confused, right? She is really don't understand. She's like, you don't understand, man. This, this well is deep. I mean, it's real, it, it, it's real deep. You don't have anything that you can get water out of. And how are you going to give me water that makes me not thirsty again? See, this is, a, it is contemplating, right? She is sitting here thinking, what are you doing here? So then she answered, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I won't have to come down here. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. And as my kids would say, he's getting ready to throw shade, right? He is getting ready to, to call her out and make sure that she understands who he really is. So, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you are now with is not your husband. And <laughs> what you have just said is quite true. Now, that'd be pretty terrible, right? For you to say, I, I don't really got a husband. You're right. You had five of them and the one you got now ain't your husband. So she is really intrigued on in what's taking place, right? Uh, we're going to skip down. Woman, Jesus replied, believe in me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, on down, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, actually, verse 32, or verse 31. So this whole thing goes on with her 
He talks to her. He talks about all the stuff. He talks about the living water. And then the disciples show up. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of who sent me and to finish the work. Do you have a saying that it's still four months until harvest? I tell you to open your eyes and look at the field, for they are ripe to harvest. So they went to buy him food because he was hungry because of the long trip. And because he witnessed to that woman when the Spirit of God started to flow out of him, it made him full. He didn't eat nothing. I don't even know that he really drank anything by that whole conversation. I don't think it ever said, did it ever say she gave him water? He never drank, he never ate anything. But he said that my food is from doing the will of the one who sent me. It's different than what you understand. It's not bread that you put in your mouth. And I know, I know those guys were confused. We just walked across the desert with him. We've been walking for hours. We finally got here. He said he was hungry. I went and bought him food. Now he don't want to eat it. I mean, that seemed odd to you. I mean, he wasn't a teenage girl, right? I mean, those are the only people that can be hungry until you give them food and then they choose not to eat, right? <clears throat> it's not that. It wasn't that he was a teenage girl. It was that when he started to operate... And what God sent him to do, that he was fulfilled on the inside. See, when we start to operate what God wants us to do, well, we don't know. Because we don't operate with what God wants us to do enough to really feel out if that's full or not. And it made no sense, does it? We're too busy with everything else we have going on, worrying about what we're going to put on the table or worrying about what we're going to put on or worry about what we're going to drink or worry about where we're going to live that we have a hard time understanding that that food comes from the inside for doing the will of the one who sent us. Uh, Jesse Duplantis used to say when, when, when Jesse first started being an evangelist that he would go from town to town to town to town preaching and in his book, he talked about how some places he went, they would feed him three meals a day, and he would eat and be happy. And some places he went, they didn't feed him at all. And he'd say, praise God, we, we fasting this week. That's what we're doing. We're fasting for you. And he said at the end of the week, he wasn't no more hungry than he was the week before. Whether he eat or he didn't eat didn't make any difference. When he preached God's word, it, well, he was being fulfilled. He was being edified and built up. Now, that was when Jesse was poor. Now, Jesse flies his jet wherever Jesse wants to, and he eats whatever exactly he wants to eat. All right, so turn with me to um, an, another one, John. John liked to talk about this stuff. <clears throat> John chapter 6. And what happens in John chapter 6 is lots of stuff. Lots of talk about bread. So I'm going to go like scripture, scripture, I mean, verse, 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 verse. So it's going to be in all in chapter 6, and I'm going to try to tell you before I read it. So in chapter 1, sometime after Jesus had crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd of people followed him, and they saw the signs that he had performed in healing the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Whew. 
And Philip was like, man, it would take more than a half a year's wages just to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes. But how far will this go among so many? Five loaves, two fishes, two small fishes. He didn't even get credit for catching a big fish. He didn't even get to tell the tale. He was like this big. And then I, he, he popped off right at the boat. I wish Ronnie McElveen was here. He's heard a hundred of them stories. He was this big and got right to the boat. But so five loaves and small fishes. And Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass. And they sat down. Five thousand men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated. As much as they wanted, and he did this with the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to the disciples, Gather the pieces of leftover so nothing will be left to waste. And so they filled 12 baskets with pieces and five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And these baskets are the same size baskets that they let people down. I mean, this is the same one that let God down in. This is not a basket. Not that it matters. Because I'm going to tell you, if you took five loaves and two fish and you fed everybody sitting in this room, it would be a miracle of God. And then times 100 would get you to about 5,000 men plus the women and children. So it was obviously a miracle, right? <clears throat> uh, so skip forward to 26. Um, actually, 25. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, Jesus left them and said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Verily I tell you, are you looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now these are the same people that just ate, right? They just ate the food. They were like, what do you mean the food that spoils? You fed us. You fed us out of all of these and took up all of these baskets. He was concerned that they were following over because following him around because of the food that was manifested and not the spiritual food. Not the physical food, the spiritual food. Because the physical food you can prepare over and over and over and people will eat and be fat and merry and happy. But the spiritual food is him. Um, so 29, the work of God is to this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Verse 35, and Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. Although the fathers give to me will come to me, <clears throat> and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will who one who sent me. So he, he's trying to explain to them that I know what you're looking for is that, that really good fish and bread. But what you really need is me. Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. And I know what you're looking at, but what you should be looking at is this. When we, when we start to look at the world and the world around us, we see the, the food and the cars and the houses, and we focus sometimes on that, and we get our focus off of the one that God sent for us. And that spiritual food is Him and His Word. And the, the, 
the more we train our body to focus on Man, I, I, I want to get it right. The more we train our body on, focus on, enjoying a spiritual appetite that is being filled. And then how did Jesus say that he was full? Because he was full because he was doing the will of the one who sent him. When we get to where we can understand that God's word was sent to us, not to where we can, oh, well, we go to church on Sunday morning and dress nice and, and we eat good and we're having steak and shrimp and blah, blah, blah. It's not that. It's the focus on the will of God of what he sent us to do. That's how we become fulfilled in the spiritual food. Our spiritual diet is not by sitting down and eating. Our spiritual diet is by performing what God sent you to do. And I know, I, listen, I never heard this preached before in my life. And then maybe I missed it. Maybe I was asleep that week. Granddaddy preached on this. But to be fulfilled with spiritual food, to be filled up on the inside. It's not by putting stuff in your body. It is. It's by meditating on God's Word, but it's actually putting God's Word into action and showing people what Jesus really looked like. It's by doing it. Jesus didn't sit down and say, oh, I'm full now because God made me full. Jesus sat down by the well and said, I'm full because I've been doing what God sent me to do. All of a sudden... I went from hungry and thirsty to full and quenched because I'm doing what God sent me to do. Because that spiritual food comes from knowing who Jesus is and knowing why he came here and knowing what his job was and knowing what our job is now. That's how we mature and grow up and eat this spiritual food. And let me tell you, the people that were around him, the Sadducees and Pharisees, that I'm the bread of life and nobody goes to the Father except through me, whoo, it made them mad. Why did it make them mad? Because they celebrated the unleavened feast and this feast and that feast and they washed their hands like they were supposed to and they made their bread when they were supposed to. They only knew the rituals of what they were supposed to do. They did not have the depth of the meaning of what it was. Everything, even the manna that came from heaven in the desert, was the flesh of Christ. God, <clears throat> God's people were being fed the flesh of Christ. Every time they were in need, the bread of life is Jesus, and it's nothing else. I mean, he says, I mean, right? He says, this is my, at the Last Supper, this is my body which I break for you, take, eat, right? This is my blood which is poured out for you, take, drink. Every time that God supplied bread to his people, it was the body of Christ. <clears throat> now, as the body of Christ that we are, we're supposed to be full by doing what God's word says we're supposed to do. <clears throat> Turn with me to Hebrews. And this is a toughie. I know, man, this is a toughie. Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> it got hot in here? Or was it just me? It must be me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Yes, 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 yes. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. 
<clears throat> you need someone to teach you elementary truths of the word of God all over again. You need milk and not solid food. For anyone who lives in, on milk is still being an infant. It's not acquainted with teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So when, when we mature as, as humans, right, when we start off as little babies, we get like uh, milk. And then we get that first taste of rice cereal where they sleep through the night. You know what I'm talking about, where the little belly is full. But it's milk, right? I mean, you, you know... You can't cut them a ribeye at, at, at like a week old and give them a little taste, you know, a little, 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 little bit, right? It's, it's milk. And then what does it turn into? Mushed up bananas and green peas. Ugh. I eat so much bananas and green peas, I still don't eat them. I still don't eat them. I can't stand the smell of green peas or bananas. And I think my mama abused me with bananas and green peas. But what is it when your little tiny baby is smushed up, right? Granny said, look like somebody else already chewed it for you, right? It is. It's mushed all to pieces, right? And then they get a little bit, a little bit more, and a little bit more. And then we go to chicken nuggets. I don't know where that progression happens or why you go to chicken nuggets. But all of a sudden, they go to chicken nuggets. And that's all they want, chicken, 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 chicken. But when we're babies in Christ... We need to learn to, and, 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 and listen, I'm not downplaying what's going on, but we need to learn to Daniel in the lion's den, and David and Goliath, and Noah in the boat, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, right? We need to know those elementary, spiritual, biblical truths. We need to grow up on that. We need to understand that. We need to have that background information, knowing that when I say God will never leave me and never forsake me, that I can go back to people in the Bible who looked like they were left and forsaken, and God showed up and bailed them out. I mean, you know, Jonah, um, you know, three Hebrew children. Times of where it looked like everything was going against them, and God showed up. So what that happens is, is that builds us a foundation, a fundamental belief system to know that who we are in Christ. But what happens is, any, any of y'all ever been to Jamaica? No, no, just me? Okay. So in Jamaica, it, it's weird. They build houses out of concrete blocks, and that's mostly because, I guess, hurricanes or whatever, but they build houses out of concrete blocks. So when you ride down the road in Jamaica, some houses, the block is like this high, and the grass is like this high. So it's been like that for a while. It didn't just get here. Because they only have enough block to build to where they can build, and then they stop, and then they wait till they get more block, and then they build. To, I mean, and, and it, when you leave the airport in Montego Bay, there's a long, a, a big section of places where there are houses that still have rebar sticking up out of the top of the block that people are living in. Whether it is a second story or a third story or whatever, they, they continue to build their house. Every time they get more block, they build more house. Well, us as Christians, that we, we, we build a foundation. We know who Adam and Eve are, and, and, and we know that Joseph had a coat of many colors, and we know about the, the, the plagues in Egypt, but, but we run out of block, and we get right there and we stop. But to mature spiritually, we've got to get to where that thing is finished. We've got to get to where we're full doing God's word. We're doing God's work. We're about doing the Father's business. And when, and I'm going to say it because I believe it. Y'all can believe it or not. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe the author of Hebrews is a lady, which is why they won't name her. 
it's okay. You don't have to believe that. They don't know who the author is. For a long time, I thought it was Luke. I really do believe it was a lady. But I'm going to say she. When she said that you are babies and you still need milk and you should be grown and you need meat, that was an insult, right? You should be more spiritually mature by now. Your spiritual food should be more by now. Now, I'm not saying 40 days and 40 nights in the desert and saying I won't eat that bread because... The Bible says that I, I don't expect you to be Jesus. But we have to understand that we are developing towards that. And if we still build in our house in Jamaica, if we three blocks high or five blocks high or 20 blocks high, then we got to keep building. And as we develop and mature in Christ, we should be doing more and greater things in the community. In our families, in our jobs, in our houses, in our spouses, in everything that's around us. Stephen told me another joke that I have heard a hundred times, and y'all have two, but I'm going to tell it. This guy came, um, came to church only on Easter and Sunday, uh, Easter and Christmas. And the pastor said, son, I believe it's time for you to become part of God's army. And he said, oh, pastor, I am part of God's army. I'm in the secret service, right? I know we don't need to be in the secret service. We don't need to be hidden. We need to be out in public. People knowing who we are. And, and the, more, the more spiritually mature you get, man, the more people who want to talk trash about you. Trust me, Jesus went about doing good, healing the sick. Everybody around him, he, he never, I mean, he did everything good for those people. What did they want to do to him? Hang him on a tree. One perfect guy on the planet, they want to kill him. So I'm not saying as you mature spiritually and you start to move past where you've been in the past that you're not going to get opposition. In fact, that's the opposite of the truth. You are, in fact, going to get opposition. But wouldn't it be a shame to be where you are and the only reason you won't move further in Christ the only reason you won't mature and develop is because you're afraid of opposition? Of a defeated opponent? I mean, does that sound right? Now, I can't go any further. You know, I, I, I'm, you know I, I'm, I try to be a good example when I can. I try to be who I'm supposed to be. But I can't go any further because people might think I'm weird. Somebody might say something bad about me. Really what it is is somebody might remember what I used to do. And then I get that from time to time. Hey, I remember that time. Mm, I remember that time too. I'm not going to tell about it in the pulpit, but I remember that time. That's not the same guy. That guy is in my past. What I'm looking at is my future. If you look only at my past, boy, it's tough. But if you look at my future and our development, where I was and where I am and where I'm going, that's the only thing we got going for us. So as we mature spiritually, as we eat spiritual food as we focus on doing what God sent us to do. Man, I'm not going to get the rest of those scripture. As we renew our mind, as we develop into who we're supposed to be, we become bigger and stronger and better Christians. Now, does that mean God loves you more than he loves me? No. Is there some way you can earn something? No, no. That doesn't, that doesn't set you apart. Does that mean that you're doing what you're supposed to do? Yes. Isn't that our goal? Yes. Our goal is to develop, to develop in the spiritual 
growth as a Christian to make the body of Christ stronger. Whether it's, and look, and I'm in here talking about T-bones and ribeyes, and some folks either watching on TV or maybe even here, you might still be in the milk phase. I'm not against the milk phase. I'm against 50-year-olds drinking the milk, or 20-year-olds, or 40-year-olds, or 80-year-olds drinking the milk. It, there is a development period on purpose, right? You, you, you start out at ground zero, and you have to build towards where we're going. I talked about that last week. Some of you are level ones, or twos, or threes, or fives. That's okay. We just got to work towards growing. Our food has to get more. We have to start having, a, and look, I want you to read your Bible, okay? I want you to read your Bible. But I don't want you to turn every day to the same scripture and read it for just a second and go, yep, I got that, and close it. I really, I really pray that we are going to develop into where we are studying God's scripture to where we get deeper and deeper and deeper in the meaning and the calling of who we're supposed to be, where we're supposed to be, and when we're supposed to be. Not just Bible school themes, serious conversations to growth in the body of Christ. And the more we do and the more we develop, yes, we're going to see opposition. Yes, the times are going to be tough. But could you imagine just waiting here because I don't want anybody to think I'm weird. And you don't know who you're going to touch. You don't know what the end of your ripple is. Right? That, it's the Mordecai Ham story. Y'all have heard that before, right? Mordecai Ham, he's a guy, he's an evangelist, Eastern North Carolina. Never spoke to more than 20 or 30 people, right? In his crusades, in dirt floor churches in Eastern North Carolina, with most of them with no electricity, Billy Graham got saved. <clears throat> and if you look at the ripple that Billy Graham made, we used to sit in a pastor's conference, and, it, and praise God, all of, almost all of those folks have been home to be with Jesus now. But out of that group of, of, of 25 or 30 ministers, 85 or 90% of those people said their salvation came from Billy Graham. So if you think that you're not accomplishing much because it doesn't look real fancy, think about where Mordecai Ham was and he just said, you know what, I'm tired of preaching the dirt floor, North Carolina. This ain't nothing. And in fact, he brought salvation to a lot of North America through Billy Graham's ministry, through the times that Billy Graham had been on national television and the arenas that he had been in. So, so don't sell yourself short of, well, I don't know what really why I'm doing this. You know, Billy Graham might live in your house, the next one. He might be a little kid at the grocery store. He might be some kid that plays ball. You never know who God's called and how much influence you have on them. So as we grow and develop, we have to continue to work hard to be who God called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your salvation. Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. If anybody has a need.